You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Welcome to The Magnet Podcast. I am Lewis Kornfeld, and this afternoon I'm talking to my good buddy, Rick Andrews. Hi, Lewis. Hi, Rick. How are you? Good. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Rick is a, a level one teacher extraordinaire here at The Magnet. He also teaches Laurent as a level four. Rick, you have one of the most impressive teaching resumes that I know of anywhere. Can you what give, does that mean? Can you tell the good people in the world of podcasting how many classes you teach and oh, what that. those classes are? Um, right now I'm teaching nine level ones at a time right now. Which is completely insane. It's great. I still have a day off. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, and then I uh, I teach a conservatory organic class sometimes. Teach, uh, I'm teaching level two next month. Very exciting. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. What makes you love teaching level one so much? Level one is my favorite thing to teach because um, people are so excited and so scared yeah. and 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 the fear is so palpable in the room <laughs> and uh i don't know why that brings me such joy i, I think because the fear then gets converted to excitement yeah. you know, almost immediately as people realize that that this is something that's really fun and something they can do it's also like people's first experience and um you know i i i live in prep more than anything in the world and uh why i like teaching is that i get to share that passion with people yeah and so it's so uh, amazing to watch other people fall in love with it and I think in level one, there's there's so much of that energy um, immediately in the room. You can see people start to get it. And, and by the time that people do their class shows at the end of the eight weeks, it's like, you know, people are different people. It sounds insane, but it's really crazy. Yeah. Um, the level of growth from level from the first day of level one to, you know, week eight can be astonishing just because people, you know, it's not that I'm teaching them all these mind blowing things necessarily. Um, it's just like they're just eliminating the fear, mm-hmm. you know, and then that's what leads to the improvement it feels like you've seen people come out you're seeing a clearer picture of them for the first time if that makes any sense yeah because the fear like clouds what they really think what they really want or the kinds of ideas they really have yeah and when they get rid of that it's just like pure expression it's pretty great when you see a level one show there's a feeling in the air that's sort of like when you're in junior high school and you're working up the courage to ask somebody out and you finally <laughs> just do it and they say yes that feeling after yeah. they say yes is kind of the feeling that's in the whole room during a level one. Oh show. yeah. And it's crazy having done, I feel like I've taught maybe 70 or 80 level ones now. Yeah. And they, all the shows have gone like excellent. Yeah. Like I can't think of a show where it's like, Oh man, that level one show was rough. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, bec- and it's, it's just because of the setup of it. Like people are so excited to improvise and their friends are excited to see them. And there is, it's like a no-fill situation. And what's funny about it, too, is that um, people, like, I, I try to communicate that to people in, in a, like, a simple way that sounds believable. But obviously, like, no, you would never believe it until you just do the show. But yeah. People are so, it's such an interesting thing, because I think of all the improv shows you ever do, that's the one that's the easiest to succeed at, and where it's set up for you to just go out and play and have fun and not worry about anything. You know, the consequences are so low. Yeah. But it's also the one that people are the most nervous for. Sure. Where it's just like, it's interesting sitting on the other end of it being like, oh, I've done 70 of these. And I already know <laughs> just through statistical experience that this is, show is going to go excellently. Yeah, and, and it's just, you know, watching people, you know, go through that experience is so amazing. Um, kind of getting out there, re- like being so scared, getting out there, jumping out there, doing the show, being great. Um, yeah. I think one of the things that happens when you uh, move forward in improv is you start to have a history of expectations about not only what a good show looks like, but what a good show feels like. And uh, you measure yourself up against your own past successes and you begin a process through which you experience what failure looks like individually for you. And then you start to kind of write up a list of ways to work on that. And, and that starts the cycle of getting in your head and the cycle of, of um, all that self measurement and self doubt. I've seen people or heard people talk about how like, oh, you like get worse in like level two or three or whatever, which I, 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 I super don't believe. Yeah, I totally I don't disagree. Agree I, when I, I'll have these conversations frequently where like I'll see a, st- have a student who I had in level one and they're in like your level three or something. And they're like, oh my God, Rick, like Harold is so hard. I, I, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing and blah, blah, blah. blah and I, I'm getting it. And, and then I go and see the show and they're amazing. Yeah. Like they are leaps and beyond 
where what I remember them being capable of. Yeah. And and it's like it's just exactly what you're saying. In, in you know, in writing, I can look back at writing I did uh, five years ago and be like, man, I am a much better writer now because I can look at this piece of writing and immediately know how I would fix it or change it and things I could do to make it better in ways that I just wasn't capable of seeing back then when I originally wrote it. With improv, you don't have that. You don't have the really that ability to look back at old stuff. Even looking at stuff on tape is not does not have the same effect. You only have your experience while you're doing it, how you feel about it. How do you, as a level one teacher, go about creating an environment where where um, people are conditioned to succeed? Yeah. Um, part of that is uh, just the atmosphere in the room from the second you start the class um, being positive and upbeat. I've had instructors in the past, um, uh, you know, around the country or whatever. Sometimes you have that a teacher and they just aren't excited to be there. Mm-hmm. And you, adults, people are very intelligent. Even if someone is saying all these great things, you can kind of tell when they do or do not want to be there. And um, so that, I think the second I walk in the room, I try to communicate that. Um, and it's usually not hard because I actually, I really do want to be there. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about it. And um, get people talking to each other, getting to know each other, relaxing. Um, and uh yeah, it's just like the 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 way the first day is set up is is very much like you and the whole class is like then all the program is like this. You do like the next hard thing, and then you know it's like then you do the next thing, and the next thing. Like this, the first thing you do is just the easiest thing that could anyone possibly do. You know, we usually play Soundgarden, which is like make a noise. You know, so it's like the most scared person in the world can still make a noise. It might not be the loudest, best, most confident noise in the world, but you can still participate and do it. You know. And then it's like, okay, we'll do a pet peeve for ants and just talking from your own perspective. And it kind of leads in people and slowly to the idea of like doing these fictional scenes where you're kind of making it up. And the atmosphere thing is just like, you know, the yes and games like are immediately conducive to that because they force people into that mindset of thinking, why is that a great idea? Why is what you just said an awesome idea? And people get to see the immediate success and value of it. I don't have to do a lot of preaching about why it's so valuable and important. I lead discussions about it. But most of it is just the experience of playing the games. Like you get up and you play. It's like we play like ad game usually in like week two, which is like okay, you're all advertising executives. You're you're come up with a brainstorm for this fictional product. You have to treat every idea like it's the best single idea you've ever heard in your whole life. And uh, it's hard to not play the game and just not feel like yeah, like because <laughs> people are just screaming with enthusiasm, and so you feel it. You feel um, you feel not only how great that feels, but you also feel. Oh, look at all the ideas that like I was judging my head that when I put them out into the game became awesome. People were supporting me. Um, as the class goes on and on, you know, it's it's about keeping people engaged and and feeling like they are um, they're like having fun and learning. There's there's like always like this this um, sliding scale of like quote unquote like work you know what i mean so it's like teaching people initiations it's, it's never like the most fun raucous thing relative to the, the other stuff you might do in level one but it's really necessary it's really important information for people to kind of get and explain and kind of break down in a simple concrete way and then there's stuff like you know playing team building games which is just immense fun it's also super valuable but it's also just like immense fun so i try to strike that balance between you know like keeping people having a lot of fun but also people feel like they're getting healthy nutritious and information if it's all information it's not going to be as much fun. You know what I mean? All that information might be the, the rightest thing in the world. And I could give every correct note about every scene till the, you know, till the, for every scene in the whole class. But if people walk away thinking improv is like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, then what's the point of it? If they don't want to take another improv class, if they don't want to keep improvising, what, what good was my instruction? Sure. Um, but at the same time, if it's all just like, yeah, like if it's all fun and games with no, like, um, like bite to it, not in a mean way, but in like a knowledge way, if you don't feel like you're actually learning, then all of a sudden you start, you start to get disengaged as well because it's like, you don't feel like you're actually making progress. So it's striking that balance between here's useful information and, and, and here's now a chance to use it and play and just do it. Yeah. I think that's one thing you, you, you get when you have teachers who are um, less passionate maybe, or, or I like all the really good teachers who I've known uh, have uh, uh, like calling is too strong a word and too pretentious a word, but something to that degree. It's sort of like I'm teaching because I can't not be teaching. I'm I'm teaching because I get as much 
out of teaching as, oh, yeah. as the people in the class. And people who don't have that kind of passion for it um, tend to here are the rules or here are the instructions and here's the explanation. Those who get it are rewarded. Those who don't get it are are in a very subtle way made to feel less important and you move on to the next thing. Right. But I find that a lot of that information is something that first you have to lead people to having a genuine experience, right. having that epiphany, and then you give them the tools with which to conceptualize the epiphany that they just had. If they've had that feeling first, they'll remember what the explanation is behind it, or they'll be able to articulate it for themselves, which is super powerful. But if it's just yeah. like a bunch of notes and shit, you know, you, you'll be able to fill a notebook with lots of really insightful things that are not only not effective to you, but actually get in your way when you're performing on stage. Totally. And yeah, the, so many thoughts. The, uh, um, it's such a great, I, I like that idea that's like, you got to have the feeling first and then you can map on the understanding of the feeling. It's, it reminds me of how like in an improv scene, like focusing on your behavior and then letting details and discoveries come from the behavior is so much easier than deciding every single thing you want to be true and then trying to enact all that stuff. Yeah. Obviously there are moments in improv, like when you're initiating a premise or even initiation in general, you're kind of enacting this behavior, but you know, it's like most of the good improvisation is like, Oh, I feel like this is true. And you feel like it's true because you're already exhibiting this behavior and then you map the details on. And that's always more powerful because the behavior is there and then the details fit the behavior. And that's a good way to think about it conceptually with a student too. It's like, let's do this game and you'll have this experience. You will, ex you will feel supported before you can maybe even put your finger on what exactly it was you were feeling. And then when we talk about it, you realize like, yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. I felt like I couldn't make a mistake mm -hmm. and, and why that was so great. If you try to tell people what they're going to feel before they do it, one with some games, you, you might, you just might not know. Like people always surprise me about their experiences with different games, you know? Two is just you're setting people up in a way where you're you're trying to give them the uh, the feeling without they have they haven't had it yet. You mm -hmm. know, um, yeah. Man, I had another thought. Now I can't remember what it was. I think of it sometimes as as um like your role as teacher is is kind of like Sherpa a little bit, where it's sort of like you know you know the route to take to show somebody this incredibly beautiful vantage point, right? You know what they get from that experience is theirs. You, you know, you, you can, you can lead them, you know, uh, uh, up that path. And then ultimately it's whether or not you actually find that view very beautiful or not. Yeah. there's nothing as a teacher you can do about that. But you're the person who yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. knows, you know, the way, or you know where the pitfalls are. Right. And it's, it's just like that, the, um, I find teaching to be, and no, no knock to performing. I love performing. Yeah. But I find teaching to be so much more rewarding because of that reason. Like it just means it can mean so much and so many different things to people. Yeah. Um. And and it just feels more. You like you do a good show and it feels great. Yeah, good show. We had a great show. It feels it's, it was it's so much fun to do. Being in the moment on stage is so exhilarating and fun. And people are like, oh, it was a great show. And you're like, yeah, great. And it, it, it feels good, but it's a um, it's an ego. Yes. Good. It, it it feels like yeah, like I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> like and it's that that part of you that that feeds on that stuff. <clears throat> and that lasts maybe a couple hours, you know, or, or a day. I don't know. I don't know what people's, I guess if you're really into yourself, it lasts a while, but you know, it, it fades relatively quickly for most people. I think it, it within a day or two, it turns into self-loathing and self-judgment. <laughs> like, now I have to hold on to that and get back uh, yeah. to it again. But with, with teaching, like people just, um, I don't know when I get the opportunity to talk to my students and they sometimes have had really great experiences and, they talk about what it, the class meant to them. Um, it's just, you know, there's, there's nothing to compare it to. Like, you know, the students who have recently suffered personal tragedies or issues or are going through their own stuff. And it's the kind of thing that even if I did know about it, it wouldn't change anything I was able to do. Like it, it's, it's no credit to me to, that, that they're aided by that. It's just like improv is amazing. Yeah. And it's, and it, it does help people in a wide variety of ways. It helps you be more yourself. It helps you be more confident. It helps you be happy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people really need that. And so like the seeing a good show can make you laugh and that can make someone feel good. But I think the class is a, because it's more of an experience. I think it can be so much more valuable for people and it can be a lot longer lasting. And therefore I find it be a lot more rewarding. You know, yeah. when I see, see students, you know, it's really affected. What has it done to you teaching? 
uh, the whole or improv, the whole, the whole Megillah. Oh my gosh. Um, I don't, I don't know who I would be without improv. I mean, it's like you're saying like that, like, like, uh, the, the calling, like, I don't, I don't know that I feel calling, but I definitely, I, I don't know what I would do if I wasn't yeah. doing improv. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I started doing it when I was pretty young. I was about 12 and I used to watch Who's Lines in Anyway on TV, the old British reruns. Yeah. Which were great. Which uh, Tony Slattery. Yeah. Tony Slattery, man. Oh man. That guy, that guy, where's that guy? Um, he's suffering from a uh, chronic depression. Is he really? That's the truth. Ugh. He kind of gave up comedy because he couldn't cope with the depression. It's awful. Isn't it? Um, I used to watch those reruns, and then I would go... I, my dad found out listening for Improv Boston in, in Cambridge, and uh, went down and saw a show. It was me and my family, and it was a, they used to have Sunday afternoon shows. Uh, we were the only people there. Really? And they usually canceled the show if there's fewer than 10 people there, but uh, they did the show anyways, and it was great. <laughs> I loved it. And I brought my friend Mike back, and I was like, Mike, we gotta, um, we gotta go watch this. And then we we went back and watched it, and we just started going every weekend. Yeah. And after a couple of weeks, the artistic director, this guy Ron Jones, um, he was like, "Why don't you just take a class?" And so he he popped us in his level one class. There weren't a lot of classes going at the time, I think. And so uh, it was just a bunch of adults, <laughs> like a, all people in their twenties, thirties, and forties, and then these two twelve year old boys. Yeah. Uh, and um, at, at, when I was a kid, I had really bad ADD. I had really terrible time focusing, and I. You know, I, I, I almost, I basically got flunked out of kindergarten. I had to like read, I had to take what's called pre first mm. in whatever school system I was in, which, which I, at the time was like, I think I was like, oh, great. I just get to know the thing. And it was pitched to me. It's like, oh, you're, you're, it's cause your birthday. But in hindsight, I'm like, oh no, I was just, I was terrible. I was terrible at school yeah, because I couldn't focus on anything. And, uh, um, improv was the, maybe one of the first things I can really concretely remember where it's like a thing that I've, I, I valued and loved so much, but that I was I was truly terrible at, so bad at it, because I couldn't really focus. And improv forced me to start to learn how to do that. And as I hit puberty and the ADD kind of waned, like improv gave me tools and ways to to focus and to learn how to be really attentive. And uh, you know, like because I I started doing improv when I was not really a person yet. You know, you don't really know who you are. Like improv is so immensely integrated into my my sense of who i am and yeah, sure. the things i value in, in the world and positivity and openness and and play and um it's it's hard i can't think of all, you know i can't think of any formative life experience i've had that wasn't informed by those values that improv gave me um and so i i think you know once i had that lens i think i interpreted the rest of you know my life through that stuff yeah part of the reason i dropped out of, i moved to new york to do grad school originally but I only applied to grad schools in Chicago or New York, <laughs> which should have been a sign that I like probably just want to do improv. But it, in college, it's not a thing you think you can just go and do. Yeah. And I, you know, I was, I'd done a lot of festivals. I, I was relatively aware of like the, the scene. So it wasn't like, Oh, I could just move to New York and just do improv full time. And, but I got here and I was in grad school and I just doing this stuff. And, and I liked, I was studying social psychology and I liked it a lot. I really do. I, I, I have a, still like a real passion for like thinking about the brain and how it works mm -hmm. but academia is is not as much fun uh and in just going to my improv classes and like you know I, I would i think i went to every thursday night out for like four months <laughs> and each week i'd be like oh, i really have work to do and then i'd like look at the clock and be like mm, it's 6 30 i can still make the mixer and then yeah. i would just get on the train yeah. and go and uh it just became super clear to me that where my real passion was yeah and um yeah but i i think even even a, making that choice for myself to pursue the stuff is itself informed by improv. Like my sense that I like should value um, in being in the moment and feeling spontaneous. I never really felt in the moment when I was in grad school. I always felt worried, mm -hmm. stressed about other stuff. It never felt like I got to take pleasure in what I was literally doing right then. Yeah, which just becomes a really draining way to live. Yeah, um, even if you're excited about something. So, yeah, I I, I don't know how it'd be work it's interesting because work is is a drag and and um self-improvement is a, a major drag and and like going back for a second to like focus issues and having to focus in order to be a better improviser um versus like learning techniques to focus because it's for your own good needing to focus because right. it makes you a better improviser. Like uh, this is only tangentially related, but when I was in, in high school, I, I had plans to be a filmmaker. 
and I couldn't afford any editing equipments before the digital revolution. So, you know, you had to get like the, the, right, right. so I would just hook up two VCRs and I would edit everything on two VCRs, which is a humongous pain in the ass. Oh, and, and I learned from doing that about coverage. And I learned from doing that about when you're recording, starting the action earlier than where you want to be cutting in because you need to have tails and you need to have uh, uh, tags at the end of your shots and whatnot. It's the thing where I learned all that shit later right. on in college, but nothing stuck with me in college. I could care less. My mind was elsewhere. The fact that I really wanted to make the movie made learning techniques in order to actually do that something that was very easy to do because you have something, you have a passion yeah. behind it. And it's sort of similar with like when you're improvising, like when it works and it's good, your mind is firing on all cylinders and it's an experience you don't get to have all that often. And it's, it, it it's being in the moment, it's lack of self judgment, but it's also this kind of you're, you're feeling your brain work better. And it's interesting that, you know, if you're tuned into that and you like that, it, it, it helps you get your shit in order. It helps you yeah. do things that are good for yourself, but you're not doing it for self improvement. You're doing it simply because I, I want to attack this again. It's just so much easier to follow passion than it is to follow an obligation. Obligation, yeah. And and that's and, and that is going back to teaching, that's that's, you know, part of my mindset and the way I look at improv is like you know, in level one it's it's get over the fear, but it's also like here are some tools and, and you know, you teach people character and emotion and, and, and things like that. And they're not tools just because like someone said they are like, I really view the more I teach the class, the more it's apparent to me, like these are tools because they help us not think mm -hmm. character and emotion helps you be in the moment and express yourself. They are ways to fight the fear. They're ways to, to kill that stuff so that you can just follow your passion. Mm -hmm. And in, in improv, that's me. That means just like, what just happened? What did you think? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what did you actually think? There's just this weird thing where like never has a, a note been given after an improv show where it's like, oh man, Dave, on uh, that scene, like you were very listening, you you, you, were, uh, you were listening very well, you were focusing, you heard what they said and you reacted in the most honest way possible in that one moment and it was a terrible move. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, it cannot be a bad move if it's what you honestly thought or discovered. Yeah. Because the audience experiences improv in that way. They, they experience it in the moment with you. And the ultimate truth of it is whatever, whatever really just happened. What did you really just feel? If you hide it or obfuscate it in any way, you you lessen the power of it, yeah. and uh, so it, it really just boils down to about following your passion and, and like in that one moment and, and going for your ideas, and that's where like people's diversity of experience is so valuable. As you watch impro people improvise, because they just have different ideas. Mm -hmm. Watching people—that's why I love teaching the free class. It's like uh, a more diverse group of people than I might normally see in a regular level one class. Yeah, um, it's free. It's a short commitment. Anybody can come and do it, and the kinds of people who might be interested in it, you know, might not be interested in an eight-week class or, you know, might not have the money to take an eight-week class or just want to try this thing out. There's a 75-year-old woman and a 15-year-old kid uh, maybe two months ago who did a, a scene together. They were breaking up. <laughs> it was amazing yeah. because of what that means to these two different people. Yeah. Just based on age alone. You know, it's like a, a, for someone who's lived on this planet for 75 years, the idea of a breakup, like it means such a different thing than like someone who's only been alive for 15 years. And, and so that bringing their two worldviews together to, to do the scene and then agree with each other, yeah. we just made it amazing. It was just, it, it was so unreal to watch. Um, so I think about that a lot. I think like, we just want to know what you really think. Like we want to know what your, your stuff is. We want to know your passion, you know? See that to me, it, it, it takes it right back to Spolin and, and yeah. to the original intention behind everything. Like the whole phenomena of improv being comedy and, and being used to create product was kind of a mistake. It, it was an unintended consequence of other priorities. And when you see that, where you see that it gives people the equipment with which to relate to each other, it's a really amazing thing. And, and, and I love it when I have 15 year olds in my class and nobody treats them like they're 15. Oh, yeah. I, that idea that we're just relating to each other on the level of people with common goals right now. That really by focusing on the exercise or the game or focusing on, on what, however we're structuring this time right now, giving that focus really does remove 
a huge degree of self-consciousness and self-judgment and, yeah. and self-measurement. And it puts you in a place where you're free to simply connect and interact with the people around you on, on mutual terms. Yeah. And there, you know, there are like diversity issues in improvisation, you know, for a variety of reasons that, you know, that we want to go into, <laughs> but it's like when, when, when you have just a group, like it is this weird, um, it can be this very egalitarian thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where, because the best stuff is just what you really think, Yeah, you know, um, everybody's, um, differences become strengths. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, uh, you know, like you hear like in the high school, it's like, you're different, but that's great. You know, and it just, it just sounds like BS at yes. the time. And, and, it, totally and it is, it, it is, is in high it school. absolutely is. If you like a thing, that's a liability yeah. in high school. If you like something, doesn't matter what it is. That's if it's not like a sport, yeah. it's a liability. Yeah. You know, forget like just having being different in yeah. any way, shape, or form. But in improv, like when people discover that and they discover the ways in which they think differently, I had a student who's um, she uh, is from India originally, and we just had this conversation. She was like, "Am I doing too much Indian stuff?" And I was like, "Absolutely, yeah." <laughs> That's totally. what I said. I was like, "Hundred percent." No, I was like, "I was like, <laughs> no, like." Like if 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 you're forcing any idea into a scene, that's not going to be great. But if you discover it naturally, and that's just what your experience is, is like growing up in India and like having these things. Like, and so there are scenes in the show where just like, great, this family is Indian, and like all the white people who don't have those backgrounds, they just have to roll with it yeah. and they have to go with it. And those scenes were amazing. Yeah, they were amazing um, because people just they bring they the people who have a different background, they bring their experience to it. Yeah, and and so. Yeah, uh, I feel like when people people's differences end up being strengths in that way. I feel like improv is uh, uh, improv training is sort of like um, the useful second part of your experience of high school. Because when when you look at high school, high school is all about um, socializing. It's all about uh, um, forming your adult personality. And kind of finding your place in the structure of the grown-up world, yeah. and so laughter is a really painful thing in high school. If if laughter is used as a device to point out what everybody should not be, so if people are laughing at you, that means you stick out. Something about you has not conformed to the standard, and that's the thing that everybody is now agreeing of. Like, okay, don't imitate that. Right. Laughter points out a mistake. And so you learn to kind of hide how you really feel. You learn to not have enthusiasms. You learn to go with everybody else. You learn to be passively uh, kind of rotten to everybody. You learn to jump on the bandwagon when people become hostile so that the spotlight doesn't come to you. And it actually is, like, as horrible as it sounds, it's an important part of growing up. You have to learn how to kind of, you're learning how to be a grown-up among other grown-ups in a world where there isn't really, you play a role, you know? But to end it there and now you're a grown up and you're just living with this ossified right. grown up personality is like you're half a person. Now you have to learn the other side of it is like, okay, I have the skills to be a grown up. Now I have to learn how to use laughter from the opposite side in, in improv. You do laugh at people's mistakes. You laugh at people's flaws. You laugh at what's, what's um, rotten about their characters, but it's a laugh that's coming from an appreciation and a love yeah. of those characters. And I feel like if you don't undergo that experience, you're not really a functional adult yet. I've been thinking about like how I give notes. It seems like we you know we, we learn our mondos in level one, then last couple classes we do form and then I give notes. I like point out places where we could improve the scene. And uh um I've had people like tell me that it's 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 like oh you're very positive about the note. Like it never feels like I'm it's a mistake and, and I, I've realized that like in a good way, it's something that I want to keep trying to do. It's just like when, when someone does a bad scene or a scene that doesn't work or a scene that has a thing that can improve, that is not a problem. Yeah. That's if we're in an improv class, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> like that is an opportunity for us to learn something and to, and to, and to have, walk away with a new skill, a new idea. And so I really do view like the things that don't go well. It's like, they're not, it's not like when you have teachers who are like, Oh, yeah, supposed to do this. It's like you, who, you're re- who you're really angry at is yourself. Mm-hmm. When you're a teacher and you're frustrated, you're mad at yourself because you haven't, you know what I mean, done or said the right things to get people to to do the thing you wanted them. Or to because do. you don't know how to do. You that. don't know how to do it. Yeah. Um. And so yeah, it's just like the mistakes are are they are gifts. Even obviously within the context of improv, like if something happens, it's an accident. It, it becomes this wonderful thing. The other thing you made me think of too. I think we, we've talked about this a little bit before, but I just read the uh. 
it's an old David Foster Wallace essay about like American fiction and television. And one mm-hmm. of the things he talks about is uh, how like corrosive irony as like a um, uh, an ethos is. Yeah, the idea of like questioning everything, you know. And and like you're talking about in high school, that's like the thing. It's like it's a liability to like something. Yeah. To have a passion is is a problem. And so you just reject everything, basically. You know, it's like that's not cool. That's not cool. That's not cool. But you kind of feel like the the problem with that is that it doesn't posit anything in return. It leaves you empty. It pushes away something and says, That's not the answer. But then you don't know what the actual answer is. And so you get all these things where you're like, I don't like that, I don't like that, I don't like that. But then you don't you don't know what you actually like. And so yeah. it just gives you nothing to actually work with. And you can feel that as people people improvise like you know, like um, that a kind of ironic way of of playing, it ends up being so hollow. Where it's like you got to just you got to actually like something. You yeah. have an actual idea, and it's so easy to say that something doesn't work, but it's so much more enjoyable and fulfilling to think, okay, how could that work? Right. And that's the that's the underlying idea to me behind all of improv is just like, why is that the best idea possible? Yeah. It's something we talk about in level one. That you know, and when you watch truly great improvisers, they don't pay lip service to that idea. People go through this phase as you improvise, maybe, you know, six, eight years um, when you've been improvising and you just think you're great and you think you know everything, probably even before that, actually. Yeah. Um, and uh, and you kind of pay lip service a little bit to like, it's like, oh, that's a bad move. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you watch groups who are not good and you're like, oh, they are not good, you know? But really, really, truly great improvisers, every move is the best move possible because it has happened. Yeah. Like, you cannot take it back. And so the route to the best thing possible has to go through whatever just happened. Has to, you have to incorporate it. Yeah. And when you watch players who they judge or they they roll their eyes in the smallest little way, they are they just they are the, that is the mistake in the scene. Yeah. The mistake is not whatever quote unquote bad move just happened. It's the judgment of it because yeah. it means we're probably not going to follow through on what this could be. I want to go back for a second to gearing your exercises to to bring people to a place where they're not thinking because I find that that's a term that is misleading. Yeah. Because you're never not thinking on stage. You're always thinking. It's a question of how you're thinking. And there are times where thinking is extremely creative and useful. And there are times where thinking uh, um, is inhibiting and debilitating. So what, what is the experience for you when you talk about not thinking? What does that mean? Yeah. I, uh, in the nerdiest way to answer that question possible, something I talk about and think about a lot is there's like, as you improvise in, in, in the middle of a scene, in the brain, in, in doing anything, there's two ways of processing. There's conscious processing and unconscious processing. So conscious processing is like, I'm going to consciously do a thing. Like I'm going to decide to pick up a water bottle and I consciously focus my hand and I reach out and I do it. And then and, and that operates in serial, meaning you can only consciously focus on one thing at a time. Um, but uh, the unconscious part of your brain, the unconscious processing operates in parallel. It can do thousands of things at a time. So all of our brains are unconsciously process and monitor our heart rate and lungs and are blinking and thousands of other things. Imagine how terribly annoying it would be to have to consciously beat your heart. <laughs> you know what I mean? You would never get anything done because you just heartbeat and blink, breathe. You know, like it would. Life would be a chore. You wouldn't. There wouldn't be life as we know it. You just no human accomplishments would have ever happened. You, you know? wouldn't even have the the opportunity to contemplate how yeah. miserable your life <laughs> yeah. is because this is all I do is beat my heart and blink my eyes. Yeah. So that's thinking, but it's it's um it's lightning fast. It's you know, and it's like a computer. Computers operate in parallel. Um, or parts of them, I guess. I don't know a lot about computers, but it's like you when you're when you're in a scene and you're and you're not thinking, quote unquote. You're really you're thinking, but you're using your unconscious processing. You're taking in information and you're just experiencing it, and you're having reactions and you're just letting them out. You're not questioning those assumptions or reactions in a judgmental way. Yeah, you're not checking them before they come out. Yeah, something like here's a weird example that goes on for years for improvisers. You ever been in a scene? And uh, you you have that you say a line and then the audience laughs or they don't laugh and you have that moment where it's like oh that wasn't as funny as I thought it was going to be oh, yeah. or like oh man they laughed way harder than I was expecting yeah that's a, that's a small it's a, not the biggest deal but it's a small little sign that you are judging yourself because it means if that, the fact that you appraised that move before you let it out means that you, to build an expectation on it means that you judged it that you you in sending it out from the mind factory. You had someone just take a look at it and be like, how, how is this? Is this good? You know? And so that's a pretty innocuous one. But people, you know, as they first improvising, it's way heavier than that. It's like, got to be funny. This is so stupid. Like, people's thought processes are so negative. Yeah. Um, and so that's what you really want to eliminate is that, that judgment. Um, 
And so that way, when you're in the scene, you can you can think, but it's like you're thinking as a character. You're thinking in this moment, you're letting yourself just have ideas and experiences and, and then just um, follow through on them. Which I think a, a lot of the sense of confidence and um, trust that comes with improv comes from that because the more you start to have that experience, the easier it is in real life to kind of give up some of the control over the personality that you're showing to the world. Yeah. Um. Uh, and so a lot of you were saying before of like becoming more of who you already are, I think comes from that kind of trust of like, just let it out. Let what is already going on anyway out without it having to be measured and processed and, and packaged into something that's like presentable to everybody right. or denied. You know? Um, what, what is the difference for you when, because you're also a, a world-class coach I know for a fact you coach over Skype you, across the globe. <laughs> you're coaching groups as far as Argentina, uh, Beijing, China, oh, I, this is, I assume. This is all not true. Uh, 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 Kansas and Wisconsin. Kansas and Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, the International Space Station. That's right. Um, what is the difference, if there is one for you, between teaching a class and coaching a group? What are, what are your, how are you rearranging your priorities? Yeah, Um uh, a class is like um, a limited experience in terms of it's got a beginning and an end um, definitively. And um, it's also got like material, you know, it's like the goals, you know, regardless of who you are and where you're coming into, this is the material here. Coaching to me is more, you know, it's a more like um, flexible process, you know, cause it's, it was more of a journey um, than, than, than teaching is teaching is a journey, but it's a journey with a very specific beginning and end. And the kind of a goal to it. Coaching is like, where are we right now? And where, given we want to be the best that we can be, what is the next step we need to take? You know, and then kind of looking at it from that situation, mm-hmm. both as individuals, as performers, and also as, as an ensemble. And then I, I usually think in terms of designing, um, uh, you know, like practices, it, it's like, okay, like where, where it's the next step we need to be at? And like, what are the ways in which we can get there? both through exercises, through notes, um, through um, structural things. It's interesting, the first, um, when I first started coaching in New York especially, I, I think I think the thing I learned how to do later was give feedback, on, like to give notes on scenes, very specific notes about scenes, and also give individual notes. I found that, I, I, that was harder for me. Um, I coached almost entirely through, through form and structure. And so, you know... Um, if I saw a thing, I was able to recognize a thing, but instead, you know, instead of just telling someone, okay, do it, do this thing. It's like, okay, like I'm, I'm going to tweak the form or like do this thing so that we can kind of take that thing away, which was, which was in some, some instances really good for me. <laughs> and like probably for those improvisers too. And in some instances, it was like the longest way to take, you know, as opposed to being like, Oh, Hey, you know, like think about it this way, as, you know, I could right. probably could have said that. Um, but it, it made it made me think about that stuff in a, a bigger picture kind of structural way like you're, you're building this um experience and as people bounce through they hopefully walk out of that experience with the skills as opposed to just telling them yeah you know do this there's obviously an element of that you know you have to give people information and, and guide them towards where they're heading um um and yeah i think it's just about part of coaching to me is about uh i i as an improviser really value the fact that there are a so there are so many different ways to do good improv there are many different styles and techniques and tastes I love game. I think game is awesome. Um, the notion that game is the only way to do an impress scene is insane. Uh, <laughs> like um, character is different than game, and yeah. it's awesome. And there's just you watch a group like TJ and Dave. They 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 utilize character. They play games. But the biggest thing that they do is they just they just go with the truth of the moment. The the, the truth and comedy of every single interaction on stage. Realism is a satisfying way to to improvise. There's so many different ways. And uh, so I value that as a player. And as I've grown as an improviser, I've tried to, to take on those different hats. And, and, and if some, someone did a great show in a way that I don't think I could do, I try to figure out how do they do it? Like, how, how do they play like that? And try to do it myself. And then I think I found that to be valuable as a coach because then I can look at a group and instead of thinking like, okay, how can I make them more like me and what I'm good at? It's way more like, what is the best version of these folks? Mm-hmm. Like, what do they already do well? And how can we kind of get them to that spot? Mm-hmm. I think coaching is sometimes a lot of times focusing in on the, the strength is it obviously you want to hem people's weaknesses if they're holding them back but it's like pushing them to be the, the superhero versions of, of who they already are right. as regular people not like oh let's do the thing that you're totally not good at you know 
a, a good form for a group that's regularly performing shouldn't feel like an exercise. It should feel like it plays into the natural strengths of what that team already does well so that when they, they get on stage, they can l- maybe look like geniuses without feeling like they have to be geniuses. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And so I try to identify that. And I, I think the, um, the more broadly you, you the more um, of, of improv you experience in terms of different ways to do it, the more, um, the easier it is to construct in your mind, how, what could this group be? Like, if they're at a five right now, what is this group's 10? Like, who are they? Yeah. Are they Trike? Are they Death by Rue? Are they TJ and Dave? Like, those are all super different. Yeah. Those are all amazing groups, and they're extremely different. Yeah. Um, in terms of style and the effect they would have in the audience. And they, it takes different routes to get there, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you are one of the very few people who I know who, makes a career out of improv teaching performing coaching traveling doing improv that is it that's your gig uh, preposterous it's ridiculous you're a lucky fella you know that i am extremely aware um that's what passion and and diligence get you and like complete luck and yeah. uh like yeah uh passion and diligence have an interesting way of kind of giving you a certain amount of luck you know what I mean? Like, sure. I, I don't know. I can't give an explanation to that other than it, it like things seem to kind of happen around you sometimes when you, yeah. you know, it's also, I always try to consider too, like, um, you know, like I had parents who paid for my improv classes, you know, yeah. like there's all that stuff where it's like, you know, I think about like some people are like, Oh, was it hard for you to drop out of grad school? And it like really wasn't. And, and that is why I'm the luckiest of all. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I like, I, uh, I didn't have like loan debt yeah. and I, uh, I had saved up some of my money to pay for rent for a couple months. And, uh, I, um, you know, I you know, grew up with parents who like would not only just pay for, you know, improv classes, but like just be supportive and be like, yeah, go do that thing. Like that's a complete privilege. Yeah. I didn't earn that at all. <laughs> I don't deserve it. Yeah. It just is lucky. It's yeah. just super lucky. Um, so I, I try to keep that in mind too, because you know, uh, obviously, hard work is a huge part of it. It's a thing with Kevin McDonald when he came. He said like, so I asked him like, how do you get a career? How do you how do you get your break? And he's like, the the, the break is luck, but you can just be prepared for when it happens. Yeah, you know. Um, so maybe I think about it in that way. Sometimes it's yeah. just like you just do whatever you can do, and um, yeah. Anyways, I think I cut off your question. No, no, no. Uh, um, what I was leading to is. Uh, one of two things seems to happen in the course of people's careers doing this. Either they uh, um, begin using improv for product. They begin creating scripted material or video material out of improv, sketch comedy or plays or videos or whatever. Um, Or you have people who kind of don't do that and just sort of continuously improvise, but their improv begins to... um, lose its treading a little bit it, mm-hmm. it it they're good they're consistent they know what they're doing but that kind of spark isn't there you are one of the handful of people who i can think of who just improvises consistently but that spark is constantly present uh do cocaine you, what cocaine that's how cocaine really yeah, no <laughs> rick are you serious about that no no oh okay i that would be so simple. Right, wouldn't it? Yeah. Ah, oh, just spend thousands of dollars on cocaine. <laughs> what a simple answer. Uh, um, this is a weird question because it sounds like there's judgment in it and there's none. But uh, um, why is it that you think that you're not uh, drawn like so many other people to kind of move out of improv into into other endeavors? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't hear any judgment in that and that's part of why, I think that's part of what, exactly what you're asking, right? It's yeah. like, when I, you know, part of this weird promise I made to myself when I was in grad school, it, it was this experience where um, I really like, I was really, I was good at what I did and um, I got into a really good program and got with the, look, you apply to work with a person and I like got accepted by this guy who was amazing and uh, I was, you know, the only take like one student, <laughs> it's like crazy. I got a grant, it's like a lot of stuff that made it seem like, oh, I'm good at this and people want me to do this. Mm-hmm. But in the act of doing it, I did not love it. Yeah. I liked it, it was fine. Yeah. In, in it kind of dropping out, I was like, this is me not only just doing improv, but this is me like, I want to just give myself the opportunity if I can to just do what I do, what I love. And to like, if I can make that work, like just be happy, be in the moment and just do what you love. I love comedy. I, I like writing. I like people making videos, I like watching people's videos, but I don't love that stuff. Yeah. Um, I, my interest in improv isn't about 
making people laugh and having people think that I'm funny. That feels good. I'm not a robot. <laughs> like that's nice. It's not, you know, but the thing that keeps me coming back is, is, is deeper than that. It's different than that. It's the playfulness of it. It's the, the connection and the spontaneity of it. And so I think I just, and, and that may change. Maybe in five, 10 years, I will, will be uninterested in that anymore. And I will be more interested in product, but I've never been remotely really tempted into doing that stuff. Um, and, uh, it, it, that is also the thing that allows me like in a like literal organizational sense to just do improv all the time. People who teach improv and are being kind of full-time creative people, they also have to, they're, you know, they're really interested in, in writing sketch and performing sketch and that no one pays you to do that. And you just you do it, you know, for your own, you just spend all this time. You guys, you got to lay aside time to write and to have mental energy to, to write. I, I don't write sketch comedy right now, not because I don't think sketch comedy is great, but because when I go home, if I ever have the urge to write, the last thing I want to write about is something funny because sure. I, I spend all the day doing improv. Yeah. You know? I'm not burnt out, but I'm I'm like, I'm not interested in funny stuff for a period of time, yeah. which I think is reasonable. Yeah, and I, I like that about you, that you're honest about that. Yeah. Because a lot of people, a lot of people will, they really do love it and, and they feel bad because it's like, oh, I'm not motivated to do more and so they will try other endeavors out again out of a place of obligation yeah uh rather than a place of really kind of knowing themselves a little bit i just don't think sometimes the the thing that like i if someone was like oh hey you're gonna have your own tv show and you can do whatever you want and and all your friends can work on it you guys can create whatever you want yeah there's something interesting in that to me like i know so many amazing creative people i'd love to see what we come up with that would be cool a cool experience to me but that just doesn't it's just not how it works like you don't just get handed a thing you put in years and years of doing other people's stuff and and um you know that process is just not particularly compelling to me um and i i think i think sometimes this is definitely not true of everybody uh but sometimes people get drawn to that stuff because they want to they want to be known yeah they feel like they need to affect people or their or their life is meaningless yeah like they, they should need to be famous. They need to have people know who they are. And I I think that that is hollow. I think that is, it's aspiration. There's this, uh, again, David Foster Wallace, sorry, I've been reading so much of him, is a section in D- Infinite Jests where it's like this kid who's a, they're at a tennis academy. He's talking about this tennis star he like just worships. And uh, they go to this thing where it's like, you. I think you have this um, unconscious assumption that like because you know it's like LeBron James like oh my god everyone like worships him and would w- like want to be him that he then receives all that that um kind of weird uh, negative self hate energy that from your, myself to like oh man I wish I was LeBron James that he receives that as positive energy right that like it just feels so great to just be him all the time but it doesn't you're just you if I think of the things that I do now on a daily basis like get to teach people level one and get to perform on a weekly basis me four years ago would have like if I could see what I was doing, I'd be like, Oh my God, you know what I mean? Like the, like just to be on a megawatt team, like it would be amazing. And, uh, but I don't walk around all day just being like, Oh my God, it's just amazing to do this because it's now part of my routine. Right. Every in the career stuff, quote unquote, with people, the television stuff, sometimes people can get really sucked into like looking ahead and look at the guy who's got more, or the person who's right ahead of you, you know? And that is just an endless chase. It never ends. There will always be someone who's bigger and better than you who's got more stuff, who does more things. Yeah. And if you can't be happy right now in the moment, you know, it's going to be a long haul. And, you know, for a lot of people that is being happy in the moment is writing and being, uh, you know, working on projects and stuff like that. I'm not saying that those things are innately like that, but the, the act of chasing the, the fame part of it is really hollow. Yeah. And so I, uh, yeah, for me, it's, it's, you know, improv makes me happy. Teaching improv makes me happy. I try to not overthink it beyond that and just follow that and see where it leads, you know? Um, and I'm open if stuff, if I, in 10 years, I want to be like, you know what? I want to write for TV then you know, maybe I will. Yeah. <laughs> or I'll try to. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I, you're right about that of, of like whatever that aspiration is, there's always somebody who has more, who's yeah. better, who's smarter, who's funnier, who's sharper. And like, it's hard in, in the world of comedy to, it, it, you know, it, it's hard not to let that affect you to a certain degree. But one of the things that I love so much about playing is exactly with like this theme that we're talking about today about just kind of being more of who you are. When you have those moments where it's just kind of like, no, this is totally me right now. And it's totally me 
because I'm connected to you. It's yeah. not me trying to be me or being the best me I can be. It's I'm I'm just with you right now in the middle of this moment creating this thing. And my responses that are coming out are just like that's it's like my fingerprint is on right. it. And and when you recognize that, it's not like hearing your own voice on a tape recording that makes you feel a little bit kind of nauseous and queasy. Right. It, it's just sort of like a thing of like, ah, it, it, this feels good. I, and it's not a question of like, yeah, yeah, I could be smarter. I could be funnier. I could be better. But right now this thing that I'm experiencing is like, that's my brain working at its capacity. That yeah. it's, that's it genuinely spontaneously functioning right now. It's like, um, what's the, it's like some like, is it Maslow or there's some like, psychological hierarchy of needs kind of yeah. thing it's like the end goal is like self something i can't remember and then it's like self-realization yeah you feel there's small moments of that of just like ah this is me at my best yeah you know? yeah um yeah totally and yeah i i uh i i i feel that teaching you know uh, having a really great class i just i get the same kind of feeling that as performing too it's different because the performing is like expression expression but the teaching is also like when I feel like I'm doing a really good job or, or I'm really engaged, it moves with the same kind of flow. You know, you're just in the moment. You're not thinking about anything else. Like you're taking stock of all the things you need to think about as you think about it in the class. But outside of that, you're not distracted, yeah. really focused. And, and you feel like, you, you know, just what to do and say, and that, you know, I don't know, just <laughs> makes you feel like, Oh, like, uh, yeah, I have value, <laughs> which is great. That's all people really want. They want to feel like they're contributing and I think the comedy thing too, it's like, go back to the career thing, it's like, I don't know, man, being in a theater, like performing in a theater with all these people and teaching classes and getting to know, actually know people, like the people who like I'm able to affect, like I, I get to actually know who they are as opposed to like something that is unattractive to me about like just being on television and like doing some show that like the people who you affect, like, um, you just don't know them. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's just like some guy stopping on the street, like you're the guy from the thing. And it's like, yep. And it's like, does it even really go far beyond that in terms of getting to understand how you might affect people? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I guess there's more feedback in, in today's technology and stuff like that. But it's like, most people t- talk about like, Oh, I want to like get my craft out there and like get my art or my ideas out there. And, and uh, um, it's, I don't feel like I don't get to do that. As, you know, and I feel like if I do have an idea and I get to share it, like I, I have people who I immediately get to share it with, and I get to share it with millions of people. But I don't know that it would would it feel better to share it with millions of people, or is it, does it feel nice to share it with like sixteen people? <laughs> like I like there's not something nice about sixteen people because I get to feel like I I'm actually sharing it, and we are actually having a conversation about we're here together, right yeah. Now As Mil- a, millions is an abstraction, but the right. fifty who I'm looking at right now, totally. like, we're here together right now, yeah. Thanks for talking, Rick. Thanks for having me. This has been the Magnet Podcast. Thanks to Rick Andrews. Thanks to Grant Goldberg, our engineer. Thanks to you guys for listening. Uh, it's being broadcast out of the Magnet Theater. Please, if you're interested in improv, who we are, what we do, check us out online, www.magnettheater.com. Information on classes and shows. Thanks very much for tuning in. You've been listening to The Magnet Podcast. 